Thanks for tuning into the XL Legal Podcast, an interview-based podcast for lawyers devoted to practice excellence and wellness tips. I'm your host, Shelley Appleby-Ostroff, legal talent development consultant, writing coach, and former practicing lawyer, and I'm so happy you're here. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Simi Bodich. Simi's a corporate lawyer turned holistic health and anti-diet coach and intuitive eating counselor who helps women break free from perfection and heal their relationships with food and body image. Simi's also the author of Letting Go of Leo, How I Broke Up with Perfection, a memoir about her own struggles with disordered eating, body image, and the desire to be perfect, and her journey to recovery. Welcome to the XL Legal Podcast, Simi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so grateful that I get to be here with you. Well, thank you so much for being here. I wanted to start off talking about your experience practicing law. When did you stop practicing? I stopped practicing about eight years ago. And how did you realize that it wasn't for you? So uh, I started practice after law school. So not including the work that I did during law school at a, at a firm in a private practice doing corporate healthcare work and really loved the people that I worked with, really loved many of our clients and just had a lot of respect for the practice of law. And I ended up practicing for about three years before I left to start my own business. But at the time that I started practicing law, I also was going through a lot of personal transitions in my life as well. So the big professional transition of going from law school and studying for the bar into practicing law. And that for me involved a move from Chicago um, to a place called Columbus, Ohio, where I live now. And during that time, I was also getting ready to and ultimately marrying my now husband. We've been uh, together for a, a decade now. And when we went on our honeymoon, I had this meltdown moment where I shared with him how I had really been struggling in my relationship with food and with body image and with movement. It was just feeling really obsessive and controlling. I couldn't stop thinking about what I should eat, what I had eaten, how I needed to exercise, um, to try to make up for what I ate. It was like this constant obsessive cycle in my mind, thinking about food, thinking about exercise, thinking about my body. And Mm -hmm. I was just struggling with a lot of really painful um, self-judgment and criticism. And I promise that this all relates to how I transitioned from the practice of law. But so I, all of this is happening in these first couple of months of being an attorney, of practicing law. And my husband was so encouraging to me of getting some support and getting some help. So I came home from our honeymoon and um, I was Googling the things that I was experiencing and how to fix it. And I came across a website of someone who called herself a health coach. And my, my coach's name was, is Amy. She's just an incredible, incredible human being. But this was the first time that I had heard the term health coach. So I stumbled upon her, her website, thanks to Google, and was reading 
all about how she, you know, helped her clients. And I just felt like this was what I needed. And so reached out to her, started working with her, um, and also started getting back into regular therapy at the same time. And the process for me of healing my relationship with food and exercise and my body really at its core was about learning how to trust myself, learning how to care for myself, and learning how to see my inherent worth rather than feeling like I needed to earn feeling worthy or earn love or earn acceptance by being perfect. Mm-hmm. And through this journey of healing my relationship with food and exercise and body image, I got to know myself a little bit better than I had in a very long time and really started to practice a concept called intuitive eating, which is just all about tuning into your body's wisdom and letting that guide you in your relationship with food, releasing the rules, finding freedom from diet culture, and really following that internal wisdom instead And one of the cool things about intuitive eating is that once you start listening to that internal wisdom around food and exercise, you also start to hear it in other areas of your life. And so it wasn't too long after that I had a moment at work where it was almost like I woke up, like I had been asleep for a really long time and I woke up and had this very intense awareness that... I was in a job and in a career path that was taking me in a certain direction. And I had this awareness and this realization that ultimately, like that destination was not where I wanted to go. And so Mm -hmm. as much respect as I have for the practice of law, as much as I loved my coworkers, as much as I, you know, in many ways looked up to them, I also had this personal realization that I... I didn't really want what success is when it comes to practicing law and that it just didn't feel fulfilling to me and it didn't feel like what I was supposed to do. And I don't believe that I would have gotten there if it hadn't been for the the work in my relationship with food and exercise and body image, because, you know, a big part of that was about releasing perfectionist mindset and releasing my people pleasing tendencies, which were also tied into perfectionist mindset. And those ways of operating those coping mechanisms had really dictated many of the decisions I had made in my life up until that point, including becoming an attorney. And so it was this moment of realizing that actually, I think that there's something else that would be more fulfilling for me. I think that there's something else that I am meant to do. And I didn't have all the answers at that moment. And I didn't have clarity of next steps or or what that was. But I decided to follow what was really interesting to me and what was really exciting to me. And at that moment in time, and still today, was these you know, concepts of intuitive eating and intuitive movement and and this idea that, you know, many women and people in general are operating so much in the external, the rules and the shoulds and all of that, and are 
completely disconnected from the internal wisdom and that internal guidance and that you, there were ways to support people to reconnect to themselves. And so while I was practicing, I went back to school to become a health coach. And that, you know, was my initial certification, have continued that education over the years, and then ultimately started to see clients on the side. And, you know, before work, after work, and then when that started to grow, made the leap to do that, to do that full time and have had my business now for for eight years. Wow. Well, I mean, that's incredible that you were able to, well, first of all, deal with your own personal challenges, start up a new business all at the same time as you're continuing to practice law. (laughs) It was a lot at the time. (laughs) And I definitely, what I will say is I think when something, I think when something is really important to you and you know that it, that it is temporary, that there are a lot of things that are possible for a short period of time. But when I ultimately made the full transition, I remember thinking I couldn't have done that for one more day. Like I just remember (laughs) thinking, and that's it. (laughs) All that I've got left. And it, it helped. It helped once I started coaching. I remember when I had my first coaching session, as part of the coaching certification program that I first went through, they had you work with clients during the program to get practice. And so I remember having my first coaching session and walking away and having this feeling like someone had turned on a light inside my, like inside my heart, inside my soul. And all of a sudden I felt like I understood what all of the partners at my law firm were talking about when they talked about loving the practice of law, because I I worked with some people who were so passionate about what they did and who I could tell really loved the work. And I just remember always thinking like, I don't think I feel like they feel And then I did this first coaching session and I was like, oh my gosh, I totally understand how they feel. I just don't feel that way about practicing law. I do feel that way about this. And so once I had that feeling and once I started to build momentum and start to build up my business and I knew that the intensity of doing both things at once was temporary, it was, it was worth it. It felt worth it, but it was it could have only for me have been a temporary thing. I could not have continued to do that forever. Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine just, I mean, listening to you, you know, describe it, I'm feeling exhausted. (laughs) I can imagine what, what it was like to go through it. I wanted to talk a little bit more about um, sort of the ways perfectionism has shown up in your life. You talk about your struggles with body image and, and food and, I'm wondering if perhaps you could sort of go a little deeper into that. What, you know, what was going on? When did you start sort of noticing these perfectionistic tendencies? And perhaps you didn't even notice them at the time. And maybe it's just looking back. Um, but I'm just wondering if you wouldn't mind sort of going a little bit deeper into that. Absolutely. So the first thing that I'll say is that perfectionism, perfectionist mindset, perfectionist tendencies, those are coping mechanisms, right? And as human beings, 
we all have a shared desire to belong. We all have a shared desire to, you know, feel loved, feel lovable, to belong, to feel like we are enough. And if you look at, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of need, you can see that these things are innate in all human beings, that we want to belong, we want to feel safe. And for many of us in the course of our of our lives, we develop certain coping mechanisms in pursuit of those feelings and in pursuit of those very natural human desires. And for me, that's what perfectionist tendencies and perfectionism, that's what those were. And when they pop up still, that's what those are, right? Those are, that's a coping mechanism. And the idea being that if I could be perfect, and I will definitely give some very specific examples of how that has shown up in my life. If I can be perfect in whatever this area is, then I can trust that I will belong. I can yeah. trust that I will be safe, right? And so a lot, I think perfectionist people are like, oh, type A, high performers, perfectionism. And they don't look at what is underneath that, right? Why, why do people turn to these perfectionist tendencies? It's because of this, it's a coping mechanism because of this human, this very deep rooted human need to belong. And so for me, this has shown up in just about any area of my life. You name an area, I can give you an example. Um, <laughs> but when it comes to, you know, food, exercise, body image, at the root of that, it's, it was really about my body. So I tried to be perfect with food and exercise. And the funny thing about, you know, perfect is that the definition of perfect can change it's different person to person, but also within an individual person, it can change from moment to moment. So I would read about a diet that a celebrity had gone on, or, you know, I would see something or read something. And all of a sudden, whatever rules were part of that, those rules started to make up my definition of perfect. And that was the standard that I was holding myself to. And so I wanted to be perfect with food and exercise because I wanted to use those things as tools to manipulate my body so that my body would reflect the image of beauty and the you know image of perfect beauty that I was seeing in the media and you know in the world and I thought if I can look like that person then I will be able to guarantee that I will be loved and I will be accepted and I will be enough. And I don't have to worry about that anymore because if my body's perfect, that's one thing that I don't have to worry about. And mm -hmm. I'll also say that I'm someone that for the majority of my life have, have experienced, I've experienced anxiety. And so there is an underlying anxiety there as well. And so different people will have different things underlying their, underlying their perfection. But I wanted to use food and exercise to control my body because I wanted to, to control the way that my body looks so I could control 
the way that people treated me. Right. Wow. What incredible insight you have. (laughs) And I mean, it must have been such hard work to change that mindset. It is so, it's such hard work and it is so worth it. But I think that we do people who are on a journey to do this work a disservice to not say like, it's okay if it's hard, it's hard for everyone. And a big part of that is because of diet culture and is because of, you know, like cultural beauty standards and things like that. So it makes it even, you know, intuitive eating, it's countercultural because the culture, our diet culture tells us that we should be following certain food rules, you know, at all times. And so to say, I'm not going to follow those food rules and I am going to do something that diet culture has told me every single day, probably since I was a little kid that I should not do, which is trust my body, right? And so it's challenging, not only because you're practicing new skills and a new way of relating to yourself and caring for yourself. Yes, that would be challenging. But what's really hard about it is that there are subconscious messages that we have all, that we all have ingrained in us that we have picked up. Some of them are shared. So some of them came from, you know, communal cultural messages that we've received. And then some of them are more individual. So based on individual experiences that you might have had with a parental figure or friends or whatever it might be. And of course, those individual messages, those people were impacted by the communal cultural messages. So we, we have these subconscious, we have this subconscious programming based on the messages we've received and these, the experiences that we've had. And so it's not just about, okay, rather than following the food rule, I'm going to listen to my body. There's a lot of deep inner work around belief systems and personal values and mindset and all of those things that happens along that path. And I can say from personal experience and from coaching hundreds of women that without a doubt, it is 100% worth the work. And it's amazing when it comes to your relationship with food and exercise and body image. But for so many people, just like with my experience, the benefits extend so far beyond that. So for me, I feel like the things that I learned in doing that work, I have been able to take and use in every area of my life. So when I feel myself experiencing the pressure to be perfect, you know, whether it's as an entrepreneur or in motherhood or whatever it might be, I am able to say like, wait, I know how this works. And I can, mm-hmm. the skills and the tools are transferable um, to other areas. So that's, a, that's like one really cool thing about doing this work is it's about food. And it's also like not about the food at all. And I think that it's one of the reasons why when I'm sharing about practices and skills with clients or, you know, in social, on social media or in podcast interviews or in, in my book, wherever it might be, that I really like 
to say, this is the practice, this is the tool, this is the skill. You can apply it to any area of your life because it's certainly not exclusive to our relationship with food. This work is all about strengthening self-trust and self-compassion and self-connection. And those are those are practices that are beneficial to us in every every single area of our lives, including including our careers. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think there's a saying that the, the way you do one thing is the way you do most things. So the, yes. <laughs> the approach. It is so to- true. <laughs> <laughs> and it reminds me of a, a quote from your book, and I, I hope I get it right. <laughs> Perfectionism is its own form of torture that makes even life's most awesome experiences feel like failures. Yes. <sighs> I just thought that captured the feelings, the concept so well. And it's something that we don't often think about as perfectionism being a form of torture, self-imposed torture. I mean, it's just, you think about the things that we do to ourselves in the interest of seeming perfect, whatever that might be. Oh, and just, with that, so it's, <laughs> it's so sad. And I would encourage anyone who maybe is having, is listening to our conversation and is having a realization around that in their own life, that it can be the, it can be the instinct <laughs> to go into self-criticism for putting yourself through that torture. But what I would mm-hmm. encourage you to do is, I would really encourage you to tune into the positive intention behind the perfectionist tendency. So like I mentioned, it's, it's a coping mechanism. So tune into the positive intention because I do believe that as human beings, most everything we do has a positive intention. That doesn't mean that the impact is positive. <laughs> Two very different things, intention and impact, but that there was a positive intention. And so like I shared, you know, for me, the perfectionism, the positive intention is that I just wanted to feel that sense of safety, enoughness, belonging in my, in myself, right. In my own identity, in who, in who I was and who I am. And so those behave that those coping mechanisms, the perfectionist tendencies developed from that place. So when you have the instinct to beat yourself up, trade that judgment for curiosity and said, what say, ask yourself, what was that positive intention underneath that? While also acknowledging the impact and be able to say, you know what, these behaviors, while they may have served me at one point or they may have been, you know, me doing the best that I could at that time when I developed these behaviors. I can see that they're outdated now. And I would love to develop some new behaviors that share a positive intention, but also potentially allow me to experience a positive impact as well. Oh my goodness. That's so well said because yeah, it's coming from a place of protection and trying to, as you mentioned early on in our discussion, you know, to feel that you belong or that you're a part of something. And 
It's just all coming from a really, really good place. It just somehow gets distorted along the way. And particularly from what you're saying, I, I understand that thinking about food so much and sort of struggling with body image can really rob you from so many having so many wonderful experiences when you're constantly thinking about food and and how you look and how it might affect how people view you and whether or not you're you know doing what people expect like all of those things that go along with the perfectionistic mentality it can be a full-time job so yeah it is a full-time mental job to keep up with all of that not to mention that you know a lot of it can also include a lot of physical time, right? Like a lot of actual time that you're putting into certain practices. And I think when I think back on the years when I was struggling the most, which was during law school, was when I struggled the absolute most with um, with my disordered eating and disordered exercise behaviors and just so much self-hatred and self-criticism. I... I often think, and I, I loved law school. I have so many fond memories of law school. I loved my friends. I loved being on moot court. Like I just really, I really enjoyed law school. And sometimes I look back at that time. And I also have this little bit of like a sense of sadness because I think of how, of how much pain I was in and how distracted I was by what was going on in, in my mind and how I'm like, wow, if I could go back and do it over again, which of course, you know, I cannot. Um, I, I just think about the moments that I could have been more present for um, the, you know, both, both academic and personal things like that. There is this sense of, wow, I wasn't fully there because my mind was in this other place, even when I was, um, even when I was physically there. And then of course, there's the reality that when you are, when you are not properly nourishing your body and when you are, you know, pushing your body to its limit and past its limit and not listening and not resting when you need to, it increases anxiety it makes focus harder. So there's the fact that my mind was full of these thoughts. And then there's also the reality that I, the, the things that I chose at that time, the behaviors that I chose to engage in also had an impact on my focus and my ability to feel, feel present as well. Um, and so it is very healing to forgive myself, my past self for doing the best that she could. Um, and also to always be reminding myself that I still can be very present and engaged in the moments now and in the future. Um, because it's easy to get, it's easy to get wrapped up once you have experienced life differently once you're no longer in that place it can be easy to get wrapped up in the things that you weren't fully present for that you that you missed um so again just that self-compassion and forgiveness for your past self 
Yeah, yeah, because I can see how looking back, you say, oh, you know, why did I do that? I should have done this. I shouldn't have done that. Or, you know, so much of that sort of punishment mentality, uh, punish yourself from all, for all the things that uh, that you didn't do properly yeah. in quotations. <laughs> um, angry, <back> angry <laughs> at your past self for not being perfect. <laughs> yeah. Talk about yeah. perfection. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So and I, it was funny because as you were talking, uh, I was going to ask you, what would you say to, you know, your, your law school self having the, uh, the knowledge and insight and wisdom that you have now? I'm wondering, though, how we might translate that to lawyers who are struggling with the pressure to be perfect. What advice um, would you pass on to them? Oh, my goodness. Yes. All of this everything that we've talked about, I truly believe translates directly into experiencing perfection in career. Um, Number one, I think it's important to acknowledge that the legal profession um, at times can feel like it demands perfection. And it is, it's always important just to acknowledge that, right? Like sometimes this work can feel countercultural, even if that culture is within your law firm or within the mm-hmm. legal profession. And so many, so many things to, to say about that. But one that I would offer is that perfectionism is actually a limiting mindset. I know that when you are in it, it feels like high standards. The reality is that it is an incredibly limiting mindset. And by that, I mean that when you are in a perfection mindset, there is this very specific definition of what is perfect and everything else is not good enough. Everything else is failure. And when we view it like that, what happens is that anytime we operate in a place or we land in a place of failure, like 99.9% of the, of the picture. If we land in one of those 99.9% of the places in that picture, we feel like a failure. And then I just want you to think about what does that do to you when you feel like a failure? Hmm. It does not facilitate growth. When we're in a a perfectionist mindset, it is a fixed mindset. It is a limiting, it's a limiting belief and it is a fixed mindset. What we want to do is to shift into a growth mindset. So releasing perfection is not about not having high standards. It doesn't mean that you cannot do incredible work. It doesn't mean that you can't be masterful at what you do. It doesn't mean that you can't have attention to detail. It does not mean any of those things. When we talk about releasing perfection, what I'm really talking about is getting out of this all or nothing mindset and shifting into a growth mindset where you are able to see opportunities for growth And you are able to have experiences where you don't do something perfectly and you are, you learn from it. And that learning feels exciting and positive Mm -hmm. and you are able to improve and grow. Mm -hmm. Rather than fearing that you've missed, uh, missed a step somehow or haven't followed a rule or failed. 
uh, exactly. Yeah. Which completely yeah. shuts us down when we are in that mindset, when we are in a critical mindset of ourselves, when we are beating ourselves up internally, your brain is not well equipped in that moment for decision-making and for problem solving. It is not chemically in your brain. It's not the right state for your brain to be in to do those things. Mm -hmm. But if we shift into a growth mindset where there's no such thing as failure, only feedback, and you can begin to see feedback as a gift and you can begin to say like, okay, I'm learning and I'm growing and I'm evolving and I am and I'm enjoying this process and I'm excited about, I'm excited about getting better it is a completely different experience and it can facilitate as much, if not more professional success while at the same time, allowing you to actually enjoy existing in your professional life. It is very hard to enjoy an existence when you are constantly beating yourself up. Oh my goodness, of course. And also to have the energy to devote to your work. It's a such a drain uh, to always be thinking about that. And I love what you said that there's no such thing as failure, it's feedback. You know, and, and I think that that's something that we don't often talk about and how feedback is so important to our professional growth and how many of us really don't want feedback because we see it exactly as you're saying, we shouldn't as a sign that we failed. Um, But that's like a huge shift to start thinking about, um, yeah, actually seeking out feedback from colleagues and, um, and superiors to grow within your professional life. Yes. And I think it's worth, you know, asking if someone is, if this is, you know, resonating with someone, I think it's worth asking yourself, do I really want to grow and and improve and get better at this like do I really want that or do I want to avoid like criticism at all costs because I think Mm -hmm. sometimes that is really the driver right the driver is I want to be perfect because I don't I don't want to experience any criticism and that's such a that's such a fixed mindset and a mindset that I was in for so much of my life. And of course, people pleasing tendencies often play, um, often play into that. But to be able to say like, I, I genuinely want to develop expertise. I genuinely want to really become like masterful at what I do. And I know that part of growth is receiving really supportive and helpful feedback and taking that and deciding what to do with that. And you don't have to take every piece of feedback that has ever given to you just because someone gives you feedback doesn't mean you have to do anything with it. But when we're in the mindset of feedback equals criticism equals I'm a failure, it's incredibly hard to even be able to be present and open enough to receive that feedback to decide what it is that you do or do not want to do with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, so important. So important. 
The one thing that I would just say as an encouragement, again, is that life can truly be so much more fulfilling and joyful when you are able to really trust yourself, offer yourself compassion, um, and you are able to move through your life and the world and your experiences with those things. And I am well aware that there's no class in law school about self-compassion and that it can feel like maybe there isn't a place for that in the profession. But my experience has been in working with so many attorneys as clients that learning how to trust themselves more, learning how to connect with themselves more, learning how to practice more self-compassion, releasing perfection through those practices, and really learning to connect with their deep inherent self-worth because we are all worthy regardless of what we do or do not do for work or that day or whatever it might be productivity-wise, that it actually can be so beneficial in terms of career fulfillment and in terms of getting to enjoy your professional success. So well said. And I wonder too, if that's something that people can really do on their own. It sounds like you really would need to work with a professional like yourself, a health coach, to help change the mindset. So perhaps you can tell us a little bit more about your coaching practice and what a health coach does. For example, when um, you know a lawyer consults you, how sort of how would that first consultation go, and and what types of things um, would you focus on? The first thing that I will share is a resource. Actually, I'll say I'll share two resources if people are feeling like they want to dip their toe in and start to work on these things. A great resource if you do feel like you're struggling with the food, exercise, body image component. Um, the book Intuitive Eating, a, Revol- a Revolutionary Approach That Works, and there's an intuitive eating workbook. That is a great like combo resource to start with on your own. Cannot recommend it highly enough. And then I would also say that Dr. Kristen Neff, she is like the leading self-compassion expert and she has an amazing self-compassion workbook. That would also be a great like do it on your own resource. And I always love for people to feel like they have something that they can that they can try on their own. For some people, that is exactly what they need and that's awesome. And for other people, support and working directly with a, like with a human can feel so, so helpful as well. Um, when, you know, if I work with someone one-on-one, my one-on-one coaching is uh, six months at a time. We work together for six months. We have coaching sessions every other week and then um, connect in between those sessions. And in my business right now, what I'm really focused on is supporting my community with the movement piece. And I created Unmeasured, a virtual monthly bar membership that's all about celebrating our bodies through intuitive movement. And it's been so wonderful to, to get to offer that to my community. And I also have a, I, it has a seven-day free trial so people can try it out and see if they like it. 
And yes, yes. So those are some, some great starting resources. And I cannot encourage people to, to start where they are at and take the best next step that feels supportive for them wherever that might be on their journey. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like you yourself have a lot of resources and where would be the best place to learn more and to take a peek at your different offerings? Yes, it's all, it's all on my website, simibodich.com. You can find links to everything there. And then also on, if anyone's on Instagram at simibodich as well. Okay, super. I just love all the things that you're doing and that, um, you know, you've made yourself so accessible. And I just wonder what's next for you. You sound, seem like a type of person who doesn't sit still for too long. Well, that's probably true. <laughs> that's a, <laughs> a, that's a very, very true. I think what's next for me, I'm not really sure what will unfold next, but I have a lot of I have a lot of fun things planned for Unmeasured for 2022, which I can't believe that mm-hmm. that number just came out of my mouth. It sounds like a sci-fi movie, but here we are almost in 2022. I have a lot of fun things for Unmeasured planned. And so that's the, that's the foreseeable next step that I'm very excited about. Fantastic. Fantastic. Another book in the works? <laughs> well, it's so funny that you say that because I was just having a conversation with a friend the other day and in the conversation a tiny idea for potentially a next book popped up and I have always said that I hope I get to write another book I would love to write another book but after I wrote letting go of Leo I felt like I had completely emptied the tank and I'm like it's gonna take some time to I have to fill the tank back up so that I have something to so that I have something to pour out Um, But I truly, I truly hope so because writing is genuinely one of my true loves and the true joys in my, in my life. So I hope that, I hope there's another book in, in me somewhere. We'll have to see, we'll have to see if it comes to fruition. Yeah. Well, me too. Cause I really loved uh, letting go of Leo. So uh, here's hoping. Anyway, I just really, really appreciate you spending so much time speaking with me about such incredibly important topics. And yeah, I am forever grateful. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Simi. Thank you so much for having me, Shelley. This was wonderful. Thanks for joining me today on the XL Legal Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I'm always looking for topic and guest ideas. So if you have any suggestions for future episodes, I'd love to hear from you at xllegal.com. That's E-X-E-L-L-E-G-A-L dot com.